This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 162. Today is also the day that we start Go Low Tox for the absolute last time of 2019. So if you're hearing this today or in the next couple of days, I always leave the cart open for the first week because hello, busy, life, etc. And if you have in any way, shape or form found removing or reducing environmental toxins and your environmental impact uh, difficult on your own, whether it be price, whether it be time spent researching, going down rabbit holes, feeling more confused than you did before, uh, or whether it be, you know, being really enthusiastic and then all your family members are dead against any changes being made, whatever your challenges have been in this space whatever category of daily life you're having trouble with, whether it's textiles, the kitchen, cleaning, personal care, uh, how to perfume your home naturally, uh, you know, what furniture to buy, what flooring to use for renovations, lead, dust, mold, EMFs, you name it, we cover it in this course and I live coach it every single time because it's a huge passion project of mine. It started way back in 2014 and uh, is now entering its sixth year. The most common thing I get told is, Alex, this course has changed my life. So if that sounds good to you, then it sounds good to me. I would love to have you there. You can either head to the show notes uh, and I'll have a link there for you, or you can just type this into your uh, search bar, lowtoxlife.com forward slash go hyphen low hyphen tox forward slash. I'll say that again, lowtoxlife.com forward slash go hyphen low hyphen tox forward slash. And you'll find the registration page and actually it tells you a whole bunch about the course if you want to um, read into the details as well. So I hope to see you there this week. It's going to be awesome. Last, last one for the year, great way to finish the year. And uh, what I love about this course when we do it in October, November is a lot of people find they save a ton of cash on the festive season because they're thinking completely differently about how they uh, prepare themselves for the festive season, whether it be presents, whether it be, you know, what you were thinking of decorating your home with. People save so much money on that alone. So you make your tuition back, I find, and then you can use Christmas if you celebrate Christmas really strategically in terms of uh, the swaps you want to make. If there are bigger ticket items, you know, you can pull all of those together and say, guys, even if it's just 20 bucks, please get me a voucher from this store. I'm saving up for a water filter or whatever it is. And and, um, it's really, really helpful. So I hope to see you there. Now, we have two amazing sponsors this month, as you would have seen, uh, hopefully already, by listening to the first couple of shows of the month. And weren't they awesome shows? We had uh, Dr. Jason Horolak back with us for the second time talking microbiome, but this time not just gut microbiome, but also vaginal microbiome, nasal. Uh, We briefly touched on skin as well um, and 
Uh, it was an excellent show. And then last week I had uh, Kate Johnston on, naturopath and nutritionist. She's actually my whole family's naturopath. And she talked us through the confusing world of supplements, uh, the sourcing of them, when to know we need them or not, when to know we can come off them, etc. Uh, and it was an excellent, excellent show. And today I have another excellent show with Asha Everts, and she is a specialist in all things skin. And today we are talking acne. So please, if there is someone in your life that uh, suffers from adult acne, if you have teenagers or you know someone who has teenagers who have acne issues, this is absolutely the show for you. She is a clear skin expert. And uh, not only has she done a Bachelor of Health Science uh, majoring in naturopathy, but she's also a corneotherapist and she talks briefly about that as well. She has a natural beauty therapy diploma. Uh, there isn't much she hasn't studied when it comes to the skin and she's the perfect person for this show. So we talk about acne, acne scarring, why we get acne in different parts of our bodies at different times of our lives. Uh, and we talk about the do's and don'ts when it comes to diet, other lifestyle interventions, how important the stress piece is. She covers so much in this chat and uh, takes us through so many things that we can do. We also talk about things like the pill, roaccutane, steroids, antibiotics, uh, the ins and outs of using those uh, and navigating how, if you are using one of those interventions at the moment, how you might be best placed to explore other ones without being told to come off your medication. Of course, that is uh, a, a huge responsibility, I feel, when anyone's watching this show and we're doing one of the health-focused topics, please speak to your doctor first if you are currently on any long-term medication before taking any of the advice of our guests. It's not medical advice. It's just stuff to help you on your journey that you can then speak to your practitioners, whether it be a doctor or a naturopath that you're working with uh, about uh, other options. So I know you're going to love that show. And uh, and we got through about two thirds of the questions that I had lined up. Well, we covered acne very, very extensively, but I did want to ask about a few other skin conditions, things like rosacea, dermatitis, etc. So we're just going to have to do a follow-up. So if there are any questions that you have after today's show that you still want to ask, pop them in the show notes comment section, because I can use those to then inform uh, some of the questions that I ask uh, Asha the next time she's on the show next year. Now, back to our two show sponsors before we hook into that chat. We have the wonderful Solid Techniques. Now, this is a crazy offer that they are giving us. Uh, you receive a free 22-centimeter Oz Iron Sauteurs pan, uh, which is worth $119.95 on its own, with any order over $249. Uh, and if you, I mean, so that could just be any of the larger pans, uh, any of the Noni range. Uh, and not only will you receive that free sorters pan, but you'll also go into the draw to win the uh, Lotox approved collaboration Noni baking tray. What does Noni mean? It is their it is the name of their nickel free stainless steel range of uh, saucepans and pans. They also obviously have the Oz Iron cast iron range, uh, and that's the little freebie that you get if you uh, purchase something two hundred and forty nine dollars or more. Go check out solidtechniques.com forward slash shop. 
and you'll be able to see everything there. Your code is LOWTOX at the checkout to redeem that offer. I know a few of you have made the most of it, but I know many people have been surprised and gone, where's this offer? I didn't hear about it. So you have to listen to the show each week, even if you just listen to the intro and then bookmark it for later to listen to the actual conversation because the offers that our incredible show supporters give us are really, really good. So good luck to everybody on Solid Techniques. And then, of course, we have Block Blue Light, who are a premium supplier of all things blue light blocking. Why do we need blue light blocking devices, sunglasses, light bulbs, etc.? Well, if we are exposed to blue light in the evenings after the, night, after the sun goes down, uh, it can impact our rise in melatonin. Now, that affects us in numerous ways. Melatonin is an incredible antioxidant hormone um, that a lot of research shows is uh, anti-cancer, which is amazing. So we obviously want this melatonin to rise in the evenings, but it also helps us sleep well. It's a key component, a key um, biochemical thing that happens in our bodies to ensure that we have the best sleep possible. Now, I know a lot of people that struggle with sleep and sure, there can be a whole bunch of other reasons that that is uh, attributed to. But if you are exposing yourself to blue light in the evenings, then please give this a go. So what we have is, uh, 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 like what I love is they often say on their website, I've seen it, they say great sleep can be as simple as changing a light bulb. So too much blue light and green light before bed obviously disturbs sleep quality as we talked about. But, you know, so many of us have like halogens, incandescent lights, LED lights, all over the place in the evening and if we're using instead their amber sweet dreams bulbs in the evening uh, the difference is huge it's so much more relaxing we switched I think early last year and we still haven't had to replace either of the light bulbs now we're only a family of three we don't use a huge amount of light compared to bigger houses bigger families but I still think that's pretty great value Um, and I'm just saying that because they are slightly more expensive obviously than uh, your average light bulb but for me I've, I've noticed an economy in the fact that we're just not changing them I, I haven't changed them yet so that's a year and a half which is pretty good uh, and uh, they are um, what else can I tell you about them they're just really relaxing I think everybody should have these sweet dreams light bulbs in their homes and you have the option to get the super super red light bulb like as a night light in a corridor Um, but you know, obviously not everybody's going to want that just in their home in the evening. I get that, uh, unless you're a totally extreme biohacker. Uh, And I have friends that are like that, but I I like to go middle of the road on things like this and then wear my blue light blocking, um, sunglasses instead. Uh, and, uh, that way the neighbors don't think funny of us. (laughs) That's my middle ground strike. So do look into this. And then they've actually also just released kids screen screen time blue light glasses so uh, these are really really fantastic Uh, kids are over a hundred percent more sensitive to blue light than adults so it really really affects their sleep I know kids that have huge issues sleeping parents telling me of all sorts of issues trying to get them to get off their iPads at night and if while you're working on that long game you can at least give them these lenses that block 50 percent of blue light uh, then that's going to have a huge, uh, huge impact on them. So 
To make the most of the Blue Block Light offer, you have a code LOTOXLIFE, free shipping worldwide. So yay, this is for everybody. Everybody listening can make the most of this one. And you can head to blue, uh, sorry, blockbluelight.com.au. That's blockbluelight.com.au. And this is the last week of the competition that they're running to win the ultimate sleep pack. So to enter this competition, you win a pack worth $400. So you might want to enter the comp first, see if you win it, and then next week make your purchases because this pack contains a nighttime set of style, nighttime blue blocking glasses, daytime computer blue blocking glasses, sleep mask, sweet dreams, blue blocking light bulb, twilight bedtime light bulb, twilight red torch, red night light, sound blocking earplugs, and those earplugs are the bomb. I have a husband who snores, trust me. So that is all the offers. Gosh, I feel like I've been talking a lot this intro, so I am not going to waste another second of your time. Let's talk acne with Asha Everts. Enjoy. I hope it's helpful. Hello, Asha. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm super excited about this chat. I've wanted to do another skin episode for a really long time. We had one right at the beginning of the show that was super helpful and wonderful with the wonderful uh, naturopath, uh, Liesl Barnard um, from Walida. But today we're digging into a whole bunch of other stuff. So uh, I at the risk of being desperate to try and cover as much as possible as we can today, because there was a lot of interest in the topic of skin. I would love to hear your personal interest in this because you weren't just someone who had perfect skin all your life and then studied and wanted to help other people have the same. There's a bit of a personal story in there, isn't there? Absolutely. And, you know, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because when I was experiencing all of my skin issues and they were considerable for a really long time, I used to never think that that something amazing would come out of it, you know. And and when I look back and I think of what's come out of it, that, you know, we've, we've created this kind of movement um, where we can help other people. Um, so it's not just me now, you know, I've got a team of six people. Um, I'm really grateful for that experience and that's what I try to convey to my clients as well that you know um, when you're having those issues with your skin it's really such an opportunity to take stock learn about your body listen to your body and just learn um, how you can live in a way that's going to um, you, you know often we delay things you know, like, you oh, know, and we wait until the poop hits the fan, don't we? We're good at that. We just wait. We're like, you know, and I, and I, you know, I hear this a lot, you know, oh, you know, um, you know, after Christmas, you know, or, you know, after, after my birthday. Um, but skin has a way of making us really stand up and take attention um, and is the most highly motivating condition that there is. So um, that, that's, to me, that's a gift, even though it's really hard to see it at the time. So my skin story was, um, yeah, I had um, amazing skin through my teens and even into my early 20s. And I think that when you've had great skin, you just take it for granted. Um, it's just something you don't need to worry about. Um, certainly something that I didn't worry about. Um, and I just didn't have any awareness about my skin or, or what to be using on it 
or how to be treating it. And it, and it wasn't until I started to break out in my sort of early 20s, around 22, um, that, um, you know, it starts to become part of your awareness. Um, and at this point, I was not living a healthy lifestyle. Um, and um, when I went to see my GP, um, uh, the options that I were given um, were, you know, let's let's start you on oral contraception and see how that goes. And then we can progress to the, the stronger things if we need to. Um, and as a 22-year-old that wasn't really um, conscious about um, health and, you know, what, what that was signalling at a deeper level in my body, um, and like so many of my clients tell me as well, <clears throat> um, it seemed like a reasonable idea. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this pill every day. Um, it's going to double up as contraception for me, which is, is great. I need that as well. Um, so, so let's go. Let's do this. And, you know, that was a solution for me for for a while um i found that when i when i took the pill um my acne went away um and i just kind of um put it on the the, the far back burner and i didn't really think about it at all um and it wasn't until um i decided to come off that it became a huge issue and this is something again i hear every day as well mm. um so i i made what I now know is, you know, all of the classic kind of mistakes. <laughs> I decided to come off the pill unsupported. So I wasn't seeing any complementary healthcare practitioners. I wasn't seeing any, um, anyone who was helping me with um, my skincare or um, giving me external treatments. Um, I decided to come off at a very stressful uh, time in my life which was when I was going through a breakup um, and I um, had a few other other things going on as well. So it was, it was already an extremely stressful period and I just decided to come off cold turkey. And that was when um, things really became unavoidably, um, you know, my, my, it had my attention. Um, my skin was definitely the worst it's ever been. And again, we see this a lot in clinic that people may have had sort of mild to moderate acne and they um, go onto the pill for that. Um, and then they come off the pill and what they're experiencing, the acne, the type, the type of acne that they're experiencing after that is just so much worse, you know, so much more aggressive um, and really distressing. So, um, and that's what I was experiencing. I was experiencing acne like I'd never experienced before. It was sore, it was cystic, it was red, it was inflamed. And, you know, at a time where my confidence was already low, it was just absolutely devastating. Um, and so, I decided to um, not do the Rakutane. Thank goodness. I'm, I'm really grateful that I, I didn't do that. I, I decided not to do the Rakutane, not to do the long-term antibiotics. Um, I decided to investigate why this was happening for me internally. And so this, this pivotal point in my life, it, it sort of created um, the beginning of, of everything that I do now. So I enrolled in my naturopathy degree. Um, and at this point, I was solely focused on 
the internal driving factors. Um, and so I wanted to learn all about that. But at this point, I still wasn't getting support. So I was still trying to self-manage. And that's another really big issue that we see with our clients is up until the point that they come to see us and ask for help, they've been trying to self-manage. Um, and that can be really um, stressful, mm-hmm. um, isolating. Um, and they feel, or I felt defeated because I felt like all of the things that I was doing, was doing weren't working. So I think during that period, like there was maybe like uh, a four-year period where I was studying my naturopathy. But funnily enough, the thing that I decided to do caused me even more stress, you know, being a full-time student. <laughs> <laughs> let's throw that in the pot. Exactly. I'm already stressed, so let's create some more stress in the mix. Um, so, uh, yeah, and so over that four-year period, um, I tried um, every which way but Sunday by myself, which I'm really, really grateful for. And some of the ways that I tried were really extreme. Um, and so uh, pretty much nothing anyone tells me these days surprises me. What was the most extreme thing you did? I'll tell you the most extreme thing I did. So, you know, as a naturopath, we learn about herbal medicine and I'm very, um, very big into herbal medicine. Um, and we were learning about a herb called cleavers. Mm-hmm. which is a lymphatic herb and it's a very um, cleansing herb. And uh, at this point in time, I was living on quite a um, remote property mm-hmm. um, and doing a lot of, um, uh, and, and I'll get to this point later, I was doing a lot of exercise, too much exercise. Um, and I uh, came across uh, uh, cleavers growing in the wild. So I decided that I was going to pick them and juice them every single day and drink them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I would not recommend that to anybody. Um, You know, I'm still standing. I'm fine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, herbs are medicine. I mean, you know, they were medicine before all the medicines. So... It stands to reason that we treat them with caution and go to people who really understand them before just jumping in. 100%. 100%. So, yeah, I don't advise wildcrafting your own herbs and then putting them into your juicer. But, um, yeah, look, I did. Uh, I look back now and, yeah, I have, I have quite a lot of stories like that, which... <laughs> which has has really helped me to understand um, what works and what doesn't work, for example. Yeah, and to have a really deep uh, empathy for people who have been on that road rather than, oh, you shouldn't do that, you know, like you you so understand because you've been there yourself. So can I ask what your silver lining was? When did things turn around? So things, yeah, that's a really good question. So things turned around for me. So I kind of in that period of time went on on and off again the pill because I'd just get, I'd get defeated and desperate and I'd go back on it and then I'd just decide to come back off. So the turning point for me was when I decided to get help. Um, so I, um, you know, I, I felt that I'd tried so many of the, the things um, with regards to diet. I had been doing the wrong things, it turns out, which I'll, I can talk about afterwards. Yeah. But I saw a doctor of Chinese medicine and I worked with her for a number of months um, before coming off the pill um, and, um, and had that assistance in coming off. And so I found that 
the transition for me because it's if you've if you've been on the pill for your skin and you've come off and you've had a terrible experience and you go back on you do develop a real fear about coming off um and um it's quite um scary and so by that point you know i when i'd been on that roller coaster for a number of times um i i was very grateful for the support and you know i was quite scared to come off and i had a completely different experience so i found that my period came back straight away that my skin didn't actually go crazy um, and was pretty even and it was just um, a much better support. And I did things differently that time as well in which I um, got the support of my partner at the time, I got the support of my friends, I told everyone what I was doing and, and why I was scared and I didn't keep it all bottled up. And that's another thing that comes with skin is the shame, right? So mm. shameful about their skin which means that they don't um, seek help and they don't talk about it. And this was a completely different approach for me and it, it worked out so much better. So I, I came off and, you know, I, I wasn't getting the sore cystic acne. I was having a regular cycle, but I still wasn't satisfied with my skin. I found that I still had a lot of congestion um, that made it feel kind of dirty and um, I wanted to have nice, smooth, healthy skin. Um, and also I had a lot of residual um, pigmentation from being on the pill, which is another thing that they don't explain to you and they put you on it, that you can get very considerable what we call melasma mm. from being on the pill. So I was really concerned about these things and um, there weren't any answers within natural medicine or naturopathy for that. And so that's when I decided to start looking at how I could treat my skin externally um, and um, went down um, that that path as well. So um, uh, the time that I was finishing up my naturopathy, I'd enrolled in a, a diploma of natural beauty therapy and started my um, passion about um, external skin therapy and what I now do is uh, something called corneotherapy mm -hmm. and I found that that was definitely the missing link and what I say to people is that we can clear your skin up you know 70% with internals but a good 30% needs to be from the outside in if we mm -hmm. want to work on things like pigmentation scarring we can't feel scarring no um, and um, congestion um, so yeah so and the barrier and healing the barrier function and the defense layers mm -hmm. so, so that was a, a real turning point for me as well and that was um, incredibly exciting for me to to, to start using um, it, you know things internally and externally on myself and then in turn you know in my clinical practice yeah well corneotherapists always seem to have the best looking skin on the planet so i think i'm starting to notice a pattern um, so let's just quickly talk about the pill roaccutane steroids antibiotics some of the things that are prescribed for uh chronic skin conditions obviously we want to share a, a another path today because all long-term medications carry risks of side effects uh, and also carry risks of backfiring. Then not, not any medication is perfect or works for everyone. And, um, uh, and so where do we start on that? Let's, uh, I mean, what are some of the concerns about those uh, interventions? Obviously you shared your concern around the contraceptive pill being a bit of a blanket 
band-aid and then as soon as you rip the band-aid off it all goes haywire again um but what about roaccutane you mentioned you definitely were very grateful you didn't go there can you share why Absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about sort of all of the, the main things that are offered as well. So let me preface this by saying that um, everybody, it's a very personal choice. Mm. And everybody does what they feel is best for them at the time. And there's absolutely no judgment around that. 100%. Um, so we um, fully support um, everyone's journey and, um, you know, however however that happens and however we can support is, is what we'll do. Um, and, you know, I've been there. I've been reliant on medication. I understand why and I understand, you know, the reasoning. So with Rakutane, um, my concerns currently, because, you know, it's ever-evolving, my concerns currently with Rakutane is that it's prescribed too easily. Um, from my perspective, uh, as a Category X drug, and a Category X drug is the um, most the most side effects you can get associated with a drug. So wow. Comparable to, um, you know, methotrexate and cancer drugs. Mm-hmm. Um it does have the ability to affect DNA and it does have the it's guaranteed that if you take it and you become pregnant it will um, negatively affect the fetus wow. so extremely strong drug um, not to be taken lightly and I believe that my concern with Rakutane is that it's um, offered too easily. Um, you know, I've had clients who um, I would consider to have mild to moderate acne and they've been offered Rakutane straight away, um, uh, where from my perspective, um, it should be a last resort drug. So from my perspective, um, everything else should be tried first before um, that is considered. And the other concern I have about Rakutane, um, based on my clinical experience, is that, you know, people are kind of prescribed it as a, a cure, a cure-all product, um, and that is not necessarily the case. So we've had a lot of clients who have perhaps been on two to three rounds of Rakutane, um, and they come off and they break out again. Mm-hmm. Because if you're skin condition is not necessarily related to the sebaceous glands, which is what the Rakutane is targeting. It's it's shrinking and um, drying out the sebaceous glands with the oil. If your acne is not related to that, if it's, if it's something else, then your acne is going to come back. But you're going to have compounded issues of the um, having to take care of the effects that the Rakutane has had on your liver, your gut, and your, if you, you know, let's remember that one of the side effects can be mental health issues. Mm, And I think cardiac as well. Yeah. Yeah. From my perspective as a corneotherapist, it permanently changes the structure of the skin and the sebaceous gland, um, which, you know, is it thins the skin considerably, makes mm. it more sensitive. So, um, yeah, I, I do believe that um, we should try every, every possible thing, especially for younger people mm. um, who may not necessarily be aware of all of the associated side effects um, before before we go down that route. Um, yeah. 
And um, we should be working with um, a dermatologist who's going to, um, you know, keep a very close eye on things and, um, you know, prescribe on the lower end uh, if possible and, and keep an eye on that. Um, and, you know, Rakutane definitely shouldn't be taken for more than six months. And I have seen cases of people using it for over a year. So um, there are those kind of things to be to be mindful of and so if someone is listening today either as someone taking Rakutane themselves or perhaps as a teen or someone in their 20s taking Rakutane in their family you know because that obviously all sounds quite alarming yeah I'd love to offer a, a a bit of a path a bit of an exploratory path or is it that we're just about to have the whole rest of our chat and by the end they're going to go, you know what, I think I know what I need to do next. What do you reckon? Absolutely. I think, I think that if you're, if you're taking it and, you know, you maybe the things that we're discussing now are new to you, uh, don't panic. Mm. Um, I think the best thing that you can do is talk to the person that prescribed it to you about your concerns um, and then perhaps also um, see someone who is familiar with working with Rakutane withdrawal. So that's one of the things we do in, in my practice. Um, we work with people internally and externally for Rakutane withdrawal so that we can help, you know, mitigate those um, associated side effects. And, you know, everybody's different. Mm. Um, everybody will experience different things so i have had people come through and say that they didn't really experience any side effects i have had other people through and say that you know that it was um considerable for them so you know and i think that that is the case with any medication but yeah we just need to be aware that this is a very strong medication yeah and what's the reasoning between behind antibiotics for uh acne and skin conditions and uh and is it really necessary? Is it going to help long-term? Because we're damaging our gut at the same time. Yeah. Well, when we're, when we're looking at even a five-day, again, I'm probably going to alarm some people here, but, you know, like um, we're wanting to know um, the reality. Mm. So when, when we're looking at the fact that a five-day course of antibiotics can permanently affect our microbiome, um, we can then imagine what a six to 12-month course of antibiotics would do to the microbiome. Um, so I do have, um, again, very considerable concerns about the um, generous dispensation of antibiotics to the general public for their skin um, without trying other things and looking at other things. Um, and in my experience, um, it's the thing with antibiotics, when they've, when they've done studies of antibiotics, for example, acne, so with acne, one of the factors that we're looking at is the P. acne bacteria. That's one of the factors. Mm. Um, and so I think the rationale behind prescribing antibiotics is, okay, there's a bacterial overgrowth on the skin. We're going to treat it with an antibacterial. What they've actually found when they've looked at it in studies is that the antibacterial Antibiotics aren't necessarily having an effect on the P. acne bacteria, but they're having a temporary anti-inflammatory effect. Mm -hmm. And that's where some people find that while they're on the antibiotics, um, they're getting some uh, relief. Um, and really it's due to that anti-inflammatory effect and not necessarily the antibacterial effect. And what we're finding is a lot of people have a rebound effect once they come off the, the antibiotics, unfortunately, because we don't 
only have a microbiome in our gut, we have a very complex microbiome in our skin and the two are interrelated and they talk to each other. And if we're dramatically affecting the microbiome of this of the gut we're indeed affecting the microbiome of the skin as well and so yeah a lot of people find that they have a rebound after they come off of the antibiotics and again as you know naturopaths there's work for us to do with um restoring function to the gut um the other concern i have about antibiotics um is um maybe not so much of a well-known one um it's that um, acne isn't always um, associated with the P. acne bacteria. And, and P. acne bacteria is not to be demonized. We all have it on our skin. It's like anything. If the terrain is right, then the P. acne bacteria will fl flourish. Okay. So it's not, you know, it's not necessarily eradicating the P. acne bacteria that's the issue. It's sorting out the terrain. Um, but the issue that I, or the concern I have about antibiotics being given to people for um, acne is um, sometimes it's not associated with the acne bacteria, it's actually fungal. So it's more of a fungal folliculitis, which can present very similarly to acne. So it has the same kind of, it's more, uh, looks like more like congestion without the whiteheads. Mm -hmm. um, and the distinguishing factor is that with, if it's fungal, it's going to be itchy. Mm -hmm. um, but if you use antibiotics and it's fungal acne, it's actually going to make it worse. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and then that's internal antibiotics and then topical antibiotics. Again, the skin has a very complex and sophisticated microbiome. Um, if we're wiping that out using topical um antibiotics then we're just creating more problems down the track we need to be supporting the microbiome and not um not removing it or eradicating it um which is what antibiotics and a lot of um, the leading sort of acne skincare does um and then i just wanted to touch on steroids as well of course while we're on the topic um because um uh, we we see a lot of people who have been prescribed steroids, particularly for dermatitis and eczema. And again, it's one of those things where if you're itching every single night and it's keeping you awake and it's distressing you, then you're going to want to use something that gives you relief and that can give you a great deal of relief. But often what is not explained to you when you start using that steroid cream is that a steroid withdrawal process is significant and it doesn't only affect your skin it can affect your mood as well mm. so we're delving deeper and deeper into this at the moment because we've seen so many clients that um, come off steroids um, topically and um, because what happens is you have a considerable rebound within the skin um, and it can be very very distressing um, mm need to be really closely supported so uh in our practice we don't take people off steroids cold turkey we do a very slow withdrawal process and supporting them internally and externally but steroid withdrawal is i mean we could potentially you know talk a whole show about this yeah. it's, really, it's really considerable so i think you know the take home message is if you're going to um resort to these things 
Um, no judgment, you know, but please go in with your eyes open, ask lots of questions, be aware of uh, what is is waiting for you perhaps on the other side of those because they are suppressing, they are a Band-Aid approach. Yeah, and it sounds to me like you actually just need a number of people on your team and that can feel overwhelming to even just hear, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I only just found a half-decent doctor last year and now I've got to find other people. But for me, given they do tend to apply a Band-Aid to a deeper, deeper issue, this is exactly why you would need a naturopathic doctor or a naturopath for Australia or, um, you know, a, a, a Chinese medicine practitioner. It just sounds like you want someone who understands what putting together a long game strategy looks like so that you don't need to keep applying the Band-Aids. Maybe you need the Band-Aid for your SOS for, you know, just to get through the day socially because of the shame around acne and the self-consciousness, of course. But we need a practitioner that's in our corner working on the long game. I, I think that's absolutely key. So don't be afraid of that. Um, we'll obviously share Asha's clinic details in the show notes. But, uh, but don't be afraid to look around and audition for naturopaths who have a really good background in skin and helping people with skin. And I use the word audition because everyone studies the basics, but then, of course, everyone has their, their topics that they absolutely love to dive into deeper and you want someone who's gone deep on skin. 100%. I'm so glad that you said that um, because, yeah, you know, being when you're in uh, when you're studying naturopathy, it's like studying to be a general practitioner of medicine. You know, you're, you're doing a bit of everything. Mm. And, um, you know, I really um, think that people should, um, when they graduate, go out and pick a specialty and become, you know, really, um, really great at that specialty. And so I think we do definitely need to qualify this um, by um, saying that um, the practitioner that you choose, um, you know, ideally should have a special interest in skin, hormones and gut. Um, mm. and, that's, and that's what's going to make the difference. Um, and then just going back again to, to what you were saying, you know, if you're going to choose those um, uh, pharmaceuticals um, because, you, you know, it, you're really struggling, that's okay. Let's take care of your mental health first. Mm. Your health must come first and, and, and whatever you need to, to do that is okay. Yeah, hundred percent. We're so on the same page. This is great. Um, so, I, I wanted to talk about a few different things uh, here, but I'd love to actually start by asking you what kind of tests are beneficial um, when thinking about uh, how we can see what the actual issue is. Is it inflammation markers, hormone, other pathology that you recommend to people? Because not everybody's going to be able to find their skin specialist in their little corner of the world. And if they have a great understanding general practitioner or general naturopath, then at least being literate in what to ask for is a really great step forward. So do you have any advice on that? Absolutely. Um, and pathology and testing is something I'm super passionate about. And I think it's essential when we're dealing with these um, chronic um, skin conditions. And um, from my perspective, we shouldn't be treating hormones or gut really um, before um, really finding out very accurately what is going on um, because we want to test, we want to test, not guess. Mm. Yeah. We want to 
firstly get people the fastest possible results because that's what they they're wanting well especially um, because you've already said sometimes it's uh, fungal but sometimes it's microbial sometimes it's uh, some other issue so you really want to know what you're dealing with Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think part of it is um, really um, a very good consultation and understanding, you know, where um, the practitioner thinks these driving factors are, are coming from because, you know, we can't do all the testing on everybody. Um, uh, so we need to have a very in-depth, um, thorough consultation where the practitioner can um, deduct where they feel that this is coming from for that person and then um, select the testing accordingly. Um, and so we're really so fortunate at the moment because in the last few years we've seen this rapid um, uh, expansion and offering of fantastic private pathology testing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got our Medicare testing, which definitely has its place, and I'll discuss that in a moment. And then we have this amazing um, private functional medicine pathology testing, which is just um, another ball game entirely so we're having access to some of the best and most progressive and most evidence-based labs in the world um, with the best collection methods um, and just such an array of, of tests that we have at our fingertips um, as um, naturopaths or you know as I really feel that you know people who have because we don't really learn about functional testing at, um, at college um, and so um, people who have gone on to, uh, to really study um, functional pathology testing or functional medicine should be referred to as um, functional medicine practitioners. Mm -hmm. So if you're a naturopath or if you're a Chinese doctor or if you're a nutritionist, you know, you know, they really deserve to be referred to as a functional medicine practitioner if you've gone that extra, you know, that extra mile to yeah. learn about all of that. So that's that's a very big focus. I and can can I just ask on that? Um, is there a sort of diploma or a particular course that we ask whether someone's done? Because it, it's also something that doesn't seem to be massively regulated. So one could actually just tack it on the beginning of their name for any profession. Agreed. And unfortunately, that is going to be the case while um, professions like naturopathy are unregulated. Exactly. Come on, government, get, yeah. your, get your butt in gear. Uh, so, I think we need a new one to make that happen. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so unfortunately, as far as I'm aware, at the moment, there is no, um, there should be, um, there should be a diploma um, for this. Um, so from my personal perspective, I learned about this when I graduated because I went to work for a company that um, distributed these tests. And ah, so right. Yeah. When I graduated, I was... Same as my naturopath. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, um, and, but from, uh, from uh, my, my, speaking to my colleagues and, understanding the industry it's just you have to make the the decision you're on a personal level um, and, and these companies do provide a great deal of resources um, uh, webinars and training and things like that so mm. and, and I know you've had um, Dr. Carrie Jones yeah I know the Dutch Dutch test does it better than anyone their support really for practitioners they're incredible and their education and their resources is just phenomenal mm. so 
there's there's nothing that's been as I'm as far as I'm aware in Australia that's been formalized at the moment. Um, but um, there are there are a lot of resources and training available, mm. and it is really the, the new way forward. Um, I believe, and I, you know, because I was lucky enough to be exposed to that as soon as I gradu- graduated, I've never practiced without it. Mm. Um, so it's always been a part of my clinical practice. So going back to um, what tests to get, um, like I said, it's very dependent on symptoms. Um, and a good practitioner will um, discern that. Um, in our practice, we start off with um, a consultation and then recommendation of some Medicare testing. And we have a doctor that's in the same building as us that we work alongside. So it's, oh, amazing. Yeah, it works really, really well. Um, and so generally, um, you know, if you're, if you're getting um, standard blood panels, they're going to look at, you know, the point I do need to make before I go into what tests we look at or, or what, what things we look at within um, a standard blood, blood panel is that uh, people who've been functionally trained um, look at Medicare testing in a different way. So Medicare testing is um, got a very broad range. Um, do you mean broad range of normal? Yes. Mm. Like it's really geared and designed to look for disease. Yeah. So it's not geared and designed to look at the um, subclinical optimal health, mm. optimal health and well-being subclinical. So often what we hear um, is, you know, um, I got my tests and everything's within range. And we say, that's great, um, but if you could please let us have a look at that because we're looking at it in a much narrower range and in a much different way because people often get disheartened right if they're going and they're getting their blood tests and there's they're being told there's nothing that's come up um and we say that's okay we're looking at it in a much different way in a much narrower range Mm. so i must sort of clarify that before you know saying the kind of things that we look at so a lot of what we're looking at when we're looking at the Medicare testing, and it gives us a wealth of information, is we're looking at um, whether that person is inflamed or or acidic because skin conditions are always inflammatory, particularly acne, and so we're looking for the driving factors of that internally as well. So um, for inflammation, um, yeah, there are are markers um, that um, maybe I could provide them to you for the show notes or something. Yeah, that would be amazing, yeah more off now because there's mm. quite a lot of them. so the inflammatory markers and the acidity markers which i'll provide to you um definitely we're looking at liver so um liver function and uh, an enzyme called bilirubin um because we're wanting to see particularly with bilirubin um how that person and um, is able to uh, metabolize their fats as well um and then uh, we're looking at nutritional status or nutrient status through iron studies, B12, folate, your zinc copper ratio, vitamin D. That gives us a lot of information uh, as well. Um, thyroid studies, particularly if there's a family history or if there's, um, there's any symptoms. Um, again, thyroid is an inflammatory condition, so we're on the lookout for any um, inflammatory um, issues going on internally. Um, we uh, sometimes request 
morning cortisol to see the stress response. But if we're doing Dutch, we don't need to uh, go into that. Um, and then um, the sex hormones as well. And again, I'll provide a list of those because there's quite a few. Um, glucose and insulin, because that's so um, uh, relevant for acne. You know, they call acne diabetes of the skin. Wow. Um, I've yeah. never heard that before. Yeah. yeah. So, so acne is referred to as diabetes of the skin because it has such a sensitive response to um insulin levels and blood sugar levels right yeah yeah and um that's the primary driving factor for the hormone imbalance or the of course issues that you know create that excess um sebum inside the um inside the spacious gland wow okay. yeah yeah so um that's a really important one and then lipid panels and um if we feel that the person is potentially a fungal acne then we will ask if the gp can do a swab or a scrape or a swab and a scrape or if we feel that potentially that eczema for example has um, got a secondary staph infection which can occur quite a lot then we'll ask for a, a swab or a scrape and we've got very clear protocols in our clinic around that around treating things like staph around treating things like uh, fungal because they require a very different um, treatment strategy wow so should everybody who has asthma uh, asthma <laughs> that's not your bag sorry <laughs> eczema uh do a swab um if it were that straightforward that would be great but it can be quite um hard to get a swab um all right yeah um uh so um generally speaking if your eczema has been um uh breaking your skin and you've been bleeding then you should ask for a swab. Okay. If, if your eczema has been um, crusting and forming yellow crusts, and in fact any skin condition that forms yellow crusts should be um, swabbed because it's potentially stuck. So when you're looking at a skin condition like eczema where the skin barrier can get so incredibly impaired, um, again, it just creates a lovely host for certain um, bacteria and um, microbes. Mm. Um, and so we really need to establish that first and foremost before we really start treating, especially topically, because first and foremost, um, staph is incredibly um, easily transmitted um, yeah. to people. Um, and also you're not going to be able to resolve that skin condition um, if you, all the dietary intervention in the work in the world is not going to work if you've got no, a, and it's steroid cream, none of it, none of it at no, work. None yeah. of it. And that's one of the um, one of the times where I would say yes, please do use that an antibacterial cream that your doctor is recommending, and use the antibiotics internally because mm. you don't want to mess around with things like stuff. Yeah. So there are occasions where we do actually support and encourage our clients to use antibiotics. Yeah. And I think that's, but, but that's the perfect healthy discussion around this in my view, because it frames antibiotics as exactly what they were made for, which is to save the day, not to give it a go and see if it helps. If we keep antibiotics and save the day, then they'll stay useful for a really long time for us. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And if you're working with 
um, someone, then they can help to mitigate the the side effects of those antibiotics. Like mm. we have um, protocols that we use when one of our clients needs to go on antibiotics. Yeah. And we can support and reduce the impact as much as we possibly can um, by working together. Mm. And Love it. As well. Yeah. And then so what about some functional tests that are your favourites then? You mentioned the Dutch test briefly. Yeah. So um, I'd say there, I mean, there are so many functional tests available now, like so many and new ones coming out all the time. Um, but I would, um, let's keep it simple. And um, for for skin and for what we see and what we do every day, we we use a lot of Dutch. So um, so Dutch is a dried urinary um, hormone um, test. It's um, most comprehensive um, uh, sex hormone and adrenal hormone testing that we have access to in the world. Um, it um, is done at a very specific time of the month, so it should be done seven days after ovulation, which your practitioner will help you to gather. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I love... Uh, testing hormones by urine because it's much more accurate than testing by serum by blood um, and also the dutch is testing the upstream and downstream metabolites so it's giving us the whole picture and not just a, a snapshot of what's going on so mm. for example we're looking at three different types of estrogen plus the way that they're being metabolized through the body. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's incredibly insightful and um, allows us to treat very accurately with yeah. medicine, nutritional medicine and lifestyle. And we can also um, gather other things from the Dutch, like we can get a snapshot of what's going on with the thyroid. We can get, um, you know, it tests melatonin as well so we can see how well that skin is repairing during the night because melatonin is actually an antioxidant, helps mm. our skin um, repair from UV damage at night. So there's lots of other cool things that we can extrapolate from, from the Dutch test. So that's, that's fantastic. Before the Dutch came, came out, we were mainly using salivary hormone testing, which was, again, better than blood, but not nearly as incredible as the Dutch. So we use a lot of Dutch, yeah, as mm. you can for hormones and stress, and the two are intertwined. Um, and then also the other test that we go through a lot of is um, stool testing, so mm -hmm. at the gut in a, in a great amount of detail um, because... Um, to treat the gut effectively, um, we're wanting to see what the terrain is um, and what potentially um, needs eradicating. So um, in a lot of people that we see, um, the skin condition is hugely gut-driven, uh, particularly in things like rosacea, dermatitis, eczema, and then to, to an extent um, most definitely acne as well. Um, and so um, we're not just wanting to do an eradication protocol without knowing exactly what we're dealing with so it's really important to us that we we have a look and we see what is the terrain what is the levels of the beneficial bacteria is there any inflammation um what are the um you know the short chain fatty acids doing that help to reduce inflammation and feed the beneficial bacteria but 
also um, are there any pathogenic um, organisms in the gut that need eradicating because all the diet in the world is not going to remove uh, candida yeast. Mm. It's going to remove a gram-negative bacteria. So um, we have to have a look at what um, needs to be eradicated and um, we need to know exactly what strains we're dealing with because each strain requires a different protocol. Yeah, okay. Yeah, each strain requires a different um, a different diet, different herbal medicine protocol, different length of time. Yeah, there's there's a different you know something called biofilm. Um, mm. um, so uh, we we're very very specific in um, finding out what the driving factors are, and and going in and creating a customized protocol to to bring about balance back to to the gut yeah amazing and do you find in in doing that the skin starts to often get better in itself oh absolutely yeah Yeah, absolutely like the the things we've seen over the years have been transformative like Mm. like amazing really transformative and also it it offers us like a way of helping people demystify what's going on for them. Mm. So the biggest issue I see with um, mental health and skin is that people don't have answers and it's uh, really disempowering to not know why you've got this skin condition, what what's going to help, what's going to make it worse. And so if we can use pathology testing to get answers for people so that they can understand not only why but how this came about then um, it helps to alleviate a lot of that stress that's associated with their skin condition yeah fantastic and so i'd love to ask next there are obviously different types of acne and it often shows up in different places so like the back or the decolletage or the face or even just around like the hairline uh, different places on the face can you talk us through some of those and if is it different uh, types of acne or is it different presentations on the person and it really comes down to the individual Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it can be both. Um, Mm. And with acne, we can use a grading system as well, you know, grading sort of one through to four. Um, And we'll often see that people are presenting with um, a combination, you know, of um, sort of nodular, really, you know, sore cystic acne Mm. and whiteheads and some blackheads and some congestion. So they're kind of, of getting, you know, the whole the whole shebang. Um, and then definitely by using, um, so, so we use a combination of um, face mapping, which is where you're looking at um, certain zones of face and um, relating that into Chinese medicine and how that correlates to organs in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, because I've seen thousands of faces, I've um, been able to bring some of my clinical experience into that as well. So would you like to go through? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, 
Let's start with um, the, the forehead. Well, let's start by, you know, why do we break out on our face, our chest, our back, and not the rest of our body? Um, and the answer is uh, that um, the, the breakouts um, happen in something called the sebaceous gland or the follicle, and we just have more of them on our face, our neck, our chest, and our back. Um, we do have them on other parts of the body, but they're um, not um, as active and they're not as big, and we don't have any on the palms of our feet, uh, soles of our feet or the palms of our hands. Mm. So, um, And it makes sense that we've got these sebaceous glands on our face because our face is exposed to the elements mm. and our body wants to protect us from the elements by producing oil. And we shouldn't demonise oil. Um, oil is not the problem. Um, we don't want to strip all of our oils. In fact, our oils form part of our defence layers of our skin. And a lot of the work I do is uh, putting back those good lipid layers. Um, it's the type of oil that's being produced in the follicle for acne, for example, that is the issue. Mm. It's a thick, sticky, custard-like consistency rather than a smooth, viscous, runny consistency. So oil is not the issue. It's the type of oil that's being produced along with a couple of other factors. So if we look um, at the forehead, that's uh, tending to be associated with the gut. Um, it can be associated with stress. Um, it's where I tend to see the most um, fungal folliculitis. People say, you know, my forehead is rich, really itchy and they're getting a lot of um, congestion across there. It tends to be one of the first places that teenagers break out sort of in the forehead and in between the eyebrows. Um, it can be um, to do with the type of hair products that are being used as well, but potentially if they've got silicones in them and they're congestive. Um, and then it can be, you know, as simple as if someone's got a fringe as well. Mm. So it's a few different things yeah. to look for. Um, if we're having issues um, between the eyebrows or on the temples, um, then that's definitely liver-related. Mm. Um, even now, I cleared up my acne a long time ago, but, you know, I just um, went on holiday and I had more to drink than I would usually and eating foods that I don't usually. And, um, yeah, I got some some breakouts on, on my temples. And, oh, right. Yeah, that's, and I'm doing some liver work now. So, mm. it's um, yeah, definitely um, I know, like, from where I'm breaking out on my face not that I break out very much but exactly what's going on for me yeah yeah um if we've got issues under the eyes we don't tend to see breakouts under the eyes because the sebaceous glands are um not really as prevalent under the eyes but under the eye area is thinner but we can tend to see um milia um, under the eyes, which is trapped keratin and a sign of essential fatty acid deficiency. So milia are those tiny little white dots that are oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and they can appear around that area. Um, and then we tend to see that a lot of people's eczema can be worse around the eyes as well. Um, and under the eyes is associated with um, our kidneys. Um, so our kind of like our fluid um, balance. Um, and our adrenals, um, and it can be genetic as well. So people uh, of a certain um, uh, descent can um, be darker under the eyes and that's just a genetic mm. thing. Um, so um, the nose is associated with the heart and then the, the cheeks 
can be associated with um, the lungs um, in Chinese medicine, but from my perspective in clinical practice, it can definitely be like a toxicity issue, like a genetic toxicity issue, um, referring to things like methylation, pyrroles, utilisation of B vitamins. Gotcha. Um, and that's something for your practitioner to have a look at. I see a lot of issues in the nasolabial folds, you know, those lines that come down from our nose to the corners of our mouth. Mm-hmm. So that's um, related to large intestine. And um, we see a lot of people who've got perioral dermatitis flare up there, um, potentially people who've got like a stuff infection in their nose when it flares up they might get some stuff around there um that area is a real um area like that upper lip i see a lot of um pigmentation it's from people who've been getting their upper lip waxed Mm -hmm. so i caution about introducing um heat onto the skin for that reason um and then the lips are really interesting so the lips is one of the first things but when I'm doing a skin analysis, um, uh, the the lips is one of the first places to look for an essential fatty acid deficiency. So if the lips are really dry and chapped, then that can be a real sign of an internal essential fatty acid deficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen people who've had um, like fillers or Botox and one of the side effects can be peeling skin. So we've had people with peeling lips before. Peeling lips can also be a vitamin A deficiency. Um, And then if the lips are really red, that can be an overactive liver. Um, If there's um, sores in the corner of the mouth, that can be B vitamin deficiency. And then if there's congestion or breakouts right around the lips, that can be from um, uh, occlusive lip balms that that are being used. Oh, right, with comedogenic um, ingredients, yeah, that block and, yeah. Exactly. And then um, probably the most common area, again, as well as the chin and the jawline. So that's definitely a hormonal um, and liver kind of clearance area. Um, and then the the neck is also can be hormonal, but we've got a lot of concentration of our um, lymphatic glands there and our lymphatics work to, um, you know, uh, detoxify our body and if our lymph is uh, congested then it can show up uh, around the neck mm. and then on the chest and the back um, we often um, see acne and if it's on the chest and the back it's just usually indicating that it's more um, what we call androgenic so those male hormones like testosterone and DHT are more active generally in the people or the women who are getting breakouts on their chest and their back. Oh, interesting. And so in that case, would it be, you know, straight to the Dutch test and let's find out exactly where, where, you know, where we need to rebalance the hormones? Yeah, it really depends. So for some of, some of the clients we work with, we say to them, let's work together for, you know, six weeks using um, the therapeutic skincare that we mix for you using um, dietary and lifestyle intervention and let's see how that goes for you. Mm. Um, but on other people, we'll be like, yeah, probably straight to the touch test. Yeah. Even on their symptoms, you know, if they've got a long history of um, hormonal imbalance, um, if they... Um, a post pill and it's been a three-month period that they've been off 
effort. So we're not going to get any false um, positives on the test with residual synthetic hormones. Um, if they've had a questionable diagnosis around um, PCOS, um, then we may be quicker to be getting onto the Dutch test um, as well. But it really is dependent on each person. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And is adult acne different to teen acne or is it all the same and then there's all the different reasons and triggers for it, if you know what I mean? It's the same mechanism. So it's um, the issue of the wrong kind of um, oil in the sebaceous gland, thick, sticky custard that um, is then attracting the P. acne bacteria as a nice home to live in. Um, uh, but it seems to be Uh, kind of poles apart in terms of um, causative factors. So teen acne tends to be really quite straightforward um, unless there's a hormonal imbalance in the mix like something like PCOS. Mm. So um, for my adult acne clients, you might hear something like, I started breaking out as soon as I got my period and then I went on the pill for 10 years and here we are, I've come off it and here it is. So Mm. then questioning um, whether uh, we need to do investigations for hormonal imbalance, PCOS. But generally speaking, um, teenagers are quite straightforward. Um, they're um, having huge um, hormone surges um, and uh, that's causing some chaos because, you know, the, the skin is an endocrine organ, mm. part of our hormonal system. Yeah. We have hormone receptors in our in our sebaceous glands. We have testosterone receptors in there, so they're just having such big surges of hormones that um, it's all going a little bit haywire for them. Um, but with teenagers, it tends to be that. It tends to be um, poor nutritional habits and poor lifestyle habits. You know, sleep and um, sometimes poor kind of hygiene around their face. Yeah. You know, like teenage boys wearing the same cap for you know every day, yeah. Summer, and then they're breaking out on their forehead. It can be really quite straightforward, yeah. And then with adults, it's just reminds me I need to give some, my son's tennis cap a, a good soak. Actually, <laughs> totally caught out on that front. Yeah. He's never <laughs> apart from that cap. Yeah. Noted. Bring the hair down and then the cap on top. Oh yeah, you have to have the shag and yeah. then the cap on top. Yeah. Absolutely. Straightforward yeah. <laughs> is that with teenagers, and usually, um, you know, um, it's quite easy to clear up. And with adults, it's just such a more complex beast. Um, you know, we're looking at so many other factors of um, stress and. Um, insulin resistance and uh, hormonal uh, imbalance and gut issues and inflammation and there's just um, we've been around for longer so more can go wrong basically yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yay go us <laughs> um, no, being a grown-up yeah <laughs> so you mentioned some some lifestyle uh, things already that can tend to precede breakouts or acne um, some being straightforward, some being, you know, I was on holidays, I drank more, I ate weird things, or my son's wearing his cat for like 365 days in a row. Um, what are some of the other big triggers that you've come across that you haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, sure. So we haven't talked about stress. Um, so stress would have to be, from my perspective, the biggest issue for adult acne it it's it's usually a combination so we have 
we have people who um, are primed in a number of ways in their genetics and, you know, the way that they're, they're set up to be sort of react, predisposed to acne, I will say. So we have, we have certain genetic um, factors that um, we may be completely unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bit like um, I call it the bucket. So when I'm explaining it to clients because they're like, why now? Why have I just started breaking out now? And I talk about the, the bucket. So the bucket is, you know, we, we put in, you know, we fill up the bucket with um, some poor dietary choices. Uh, we fill up the bucket with some, um, you know, maybe periods of, of poor sleep. We, we fill up the bucket mm. with, um, um, you know, um, overindulging in um, drugs or alcohol. And so the bucket gets more and more and more full and we're completely unaware of it. And then at one point, the bucket starts overflowing, right? And yeah. where does it overflow to? It overflows to the skin. Yeah. Um, and so it's never just one thing. The bucket has been in action for a number of months or years. And so people come to see us when the bucket is overflowing or it has been overflowing for a period of time. Mm. Um, uh, then we start to, you know, um, break down those different factors. But one of the major factors um, that I would say, if not the major factor, and, and the other analogy I use is it's like, a, you know, a, a bunch of kind of um, fireworks. So you may be gen- genetically predisposed to, to developing acne um, and you keep adding fireworks to the pile and then stress comes along and stress is the match that lights those fireworks. Yeah, gotcha. Stress will kick everything off. Stress is inflammatory. Stress is blunting our insulin response. Stress is um, driving uh, androgen hormones harder. Um, Stress is robbing us of our nutrients that we need for our skin. It's, It's just really a massive thing for for acne, for adult acne is stress, all skin conditions, but especially. In your life as a busy clinician uh, and business owner and someone who is and has been prone to breakouts, what does de-stressing look like for you? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, Especially um, these days, uh, you know, the business is bigger than I ever imagined it would be and continues to grow um, and nothing can quite prepare you for that. So um, for me, and uh, it's it's definitely been a massive course of trial and error, um, I would say that um, the biggest... Thing that's helped me with stress is sleep so sleep is just remarkable and and I ask my clients to choose sleep over exercise over meditating like there's no um, supplement that can replace sleep mm. you know sleep is um, the best thing that you can possibly do on a number of levels so for me I hugely prioritize sleep and I nap every day as well. So I'm lucky that I've set my schedule up that I can do that. Um, and these days um, I'm just- Well, you're not lucky. You actually just did it. Thank you, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we have to own the fact that we, we have the power it's in true. so many more cases than not to actually decide how our 24 hours is going to go. 
100%. And mm. I will base a lot of that around sleep. So mm. I'll around the sleep that I get during the night. And I'll, I'll, I've also, for the last um, five, at least five months, um, been having time where I allocate for a nap every day. And if I don't manage to nap, then I um, will do, I'll meditate. Um, but, yeah, sleep is huge. Mm. And then, um, the other thing is that I've really um, decided to uh, to reject this um, busy women syndrome and this, you know, rushing women syndrome. Yeah. And I really do believe in the, you know, everyone's trying to fill their time with as many things as possible. And I'm trying to do the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think there's a big wave of that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. so I carve out time for just um, drinking tea and watching the sky, and mm-hmm. um, playing with my cat. And because life is short, and these are the most important things in life. Yeah, and these great are- advice. Really good. Um, now, there's obviously diet wars after diet wars after diet wars, and. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm curious to hear from you what, I mean, is there a great diet for all skins or really does it come down to the individual again when it comes to diet? I've become a lot less militant about diet uh, as the years have gone by Mm -hmm. um, through a combination of personal and professional experience. I'm very aware of the disordered eating and orthorexia issue that is prevalent Mm. at the moment. And I'm very anti-rigidity in any form. Um, uh, I think the more flexible we can be, uh, the more kinder we can be to ourselves. 100% and to others. in others. Yeah. And so there are times when we need to be very strict with diet and that may be when we are doing a um, candida protocol to Mm -hmm. yeast. uh, or another kind of gut protocol that we're trying to eradicate a certain pathogen. Um, I I'm, I talk a lot to my clients um, about um, trying not to, to overthink food um, because it can be very stressful. And if we're dealing with stressed people, then it's contributing to their stress levels 100% I've seen so many people in my time try to go 100% organic and then they end up being a really stressed individual at a friend's barbecue when the food's not organic and they're not in control and I think control is a really key uh, thing to reject we do not need to and cannot be in control 100% of the time that's exactly right, and um, I think that the the more we can be positive about food, um, then and and be sort of relaxed about it, the better. In saying that, um, you know, I do um, expect that my clients will follow our dietary recommendations while they're working with us, um, and those are generally to, especially with acne um, and eczema, you have to avoid dairy. Mm. Um, with the exception of ghee, um, uh, I um, think that um, there are no beneficial effects of eating gluten and um, it's a very inflammatory um, food. Um, and then um, sugar for me is, um, you know, there's, there's absolutely 
nothing beneficial to be gained from eating sugar and quite to the contrary. So um, it's definitely about creating a lifestyle where you don't need to have certain foods to feel happy or to feel better. But then on the other side, if you do happen to have that food, you're not beating yourself up or feeling guilty about it and you're really enjoying it. Mm, Yeah, I know exactly what you're trying to say. And I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with a beautiful piece of chocolate cake uh, at a friend's birthday every now and then and, you know, get in, stuck in and enjoy and enjoy the experience of the people and the mood and the party uh, and, you know, rejoice in the fact that what you're doing most of the time covers you for that odd time. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, European, Europeans do this so well. You know? I know. I feel really grateful to have grown up in French culture because that's always actually just been instinctual to me. Uh, but it wasn't until obviously building an online education platform that I realised Anglo-Saxon people tend to really struggle with that. And, um, and there's a lot of shame and guilt and needing protocols and and I spend a lot of my time saying no <laughs> reject the protocols you'll you'll fail anyway and then you'll feel horrible for failing so what I do with new clients is I say look we need to be more strict in the beginning than you're going to be once we've cleared up your skin yeah um, you know and my job is to teach you uh, what your um, triggers are yeah and Mm -hmm. so I say to them look for the first month can we go without any sugar dairy or um, gluten and Mm -hmm. if that clears up your skin if it does clear up your skin great we know this is dietary related and we can work with that if it doesn't great we know that we need to go to um, functional um, pathology testing yes more so I'll be stricter with them in the beginning but I'll explain that Um, and I'll explain that through that process they're going to become very aware of what foods work for them and what foods don't work for them, and there are some non-negotiables that I have. You cannot drink milk and expect to clear up your acne. Mm. So dairy is a really big one in your experience, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing beneficial um, from from dairy from my perspective, the skin in the least. Um, And... um, so um, there will be non-negotiables that I'll have in the beginning, but it's certainly not my um, objective to have people doing that for the long term. And, in fact, you know, for myself, I follow the 80-20 rule, like mm. 80% of the time. And most of the time I crave really healthy, nutritious food. Well, yeah, absolutely, because you've gotten in touch with what helps you thrive. And then so you totally change the internal conversation around what a treat is. I was just thinking to myself this morning, oh, my gosh, like a treat to me is knowing I've got tons of rocket leaves in the fridge. (laughs) But it's true. I just love rockets so much. I eat it like twice a day. And, and God, if you'd told me that 10 years ago, (laughs) I would have laughed at you. Like, ew, aren't those those bitter green leaves? Yuck. And you know, Alex, what I do sometimes if I'm really craving, so like say if I have a craving for something really bad, like, you know, like like a donut, like I will get that donut at the weekend because that's when I can be flexible or, and I'll have one or two bites mm. and I'll the rest away mm. and I'm, I'm good. Like yeah. I've satisfied that, that part of me that wanted that. I'm not mm. thinking about it anymore. Like, you know, I didn't need to eat the whole thing. I didn't want to eat the whole thing. And so it's about 
really intuitive eating and um, that takes practice. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a literacy that you need to develop. Absolutely. And it takes balanced blood sugars. So if you don't have balanced blood sugars, you're, you've got a toddler living inside of you. That just <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> All the time, you know, that sugar. So uh, once we've balanced blood sugars out, once we've um, replenished nutritional um, stability, then you're in a really good position to be intuitively eating and deciding, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, meal-to-meal basis, or what do I feel like? What is my body telling me I need? Mm. And and you're so right. If you don't have a balanced blood sugar and a balanced gut where you've not got your pathogens talking for you about what you need to eat because they'll just say, bread, please, pasta, please, <laughs> sugar, please. <laughs> then the, the intuitive eating doesn't work because you'll just intuitively be reaching for what your pathogens want. You're well rested. So if mm. you're tired, um, you're going to be reaching out for the sweet things, the stimulus. Mm. Oh, I know that from firsthand experience. <laughs> yeah. And I'm always really kind to myself now if I've had a bad night's sleep or uh, which happened a lot and has happened a lot over the last three years because of recovering from mold illness. So you get palpitations and your adrenals are a bit shot. But it's getting better and better. Uh, but every now and then I'll still just have a horrific like five-hour or four-hour night. And I'll just make sure that I cancel anything I possibly can, have a really rich protein, rich breakfast to set me up for the day and just be really mindful of it. Because I think, again, if you're connected to uh, it, you can then mitigate any risks of blowouts. Absolutely. It's mm. all about balance. And um, my job as a, as a practitioner is to help people find their individual balance. Yeah. Help people find what works for them. And I don't believe that a one-size-fits-all model works for everybody anymore. I, I, I still believe that a paleo protocol is the most anti-inflammatory, nutrient-dense, skin-friendly diet around. But I really don't think, like, everyone even this high fat movement and I was such a big high fat person and then I got problems with my gallbladder Mm. and having high fat has changed for me now and that was very much a hereditary thing for me Um, yeah but you can't be pushing things onto people that don't fit their genetics and Mm. where they're at now yeah so it has to be you have to work with that person to individualise things for them and so that they feel happy and comfortable and you as a practitioner feel happy and comfortable that you're doing your job by correcting those, you know, nutritional deficiencies or excesses, but it has to be uh, ever-evolving. Such great advice. Um, I've got another couple of questions for you. I'm so mindful of how long we've talked already and I'm feeling like a part two is going to need to happen. But I would love uh, just so that people feel like they've got a little bit of a blueprint around this if they struggle with acne. Um, If it's currently under control, the lifestyle intervention seems to have worked, the hormone balancing they've done has worked, the gut balancing they've done, and the skin's actually really great at the moment. But out of the blue, they feel a breakout starting to come on, a big flare-up. What are your SOS recommendations? 
Yeah. Okay. So firstly, um, don't panic because um, stress is going to drive this even further. Mm -hmm. um, just accept that this is happening right now for whatever reason. Get help. So, um, you know, um, if you've been working with a practitioner but you haven't seen them for a while, make an appointment. A lot of practitioners will have like a, a, a short session, like, you know, a 15-minute session just to, you know, um, have like an emergency session or, you know, just a quick catch-up. Um, so um, I definitely like to um, alkalize. So um, eating lots of greens, lots of green juices, uh, lemon and water, anti-inflammatories like um, ginger. So one of my favourite things in the world is powdered ginger. So you just go to your health food store and you buy powdered ginger and it's so cheap mm. and you drink that powdered ginger. So you just put a teaspoon in hot water a couple of times a day and it's so anti-inflammatory. Oh wow! What yeah. a great tip! It's so great. It's one of my it's one of my faves, um, and it's really accessible. Okay, because when you've got to work quickly, you want things to be accessible. Right? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so yeah, lots of greens, um, uh, turmeric, and uh, curcumin um, supplements can be really effective. Um, and then um, being really, really, really hydrated. Maybe going for a far infrared sauna. Mm -hmm. Going for a facial, um, if you're working with a corneotherapist, um, going for some LED, um, if you're working with a corneotherapist, um, using a cold, um, like an ice compress, if things are really um, angry and inflamed rather than picking at them, which is just mm. how things worse. Um, and then um, making sure that you're taking stock, okay? Like, all right where is my sleep at? Where is my self-care at? Am I getting enough protein? Have I been skipping breakfast? Um, and just taking a little bit of stock about mm. you know, have have you dropped the ball a bit on, you know, like self-maintenance and self-care. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So awesome. So good. Yeah, I, I love the sound of the ginger. I mean, for so many reasons, right? Just as a general anti-inflammatory tonic for oh, feeling a bit inflamed. Beautiful. So accessible and cost-effective. You don't need to see a practitioner. You don't even need to take a supplement. I bought $8 worth of dried ginger three months ago and it's I'm still going with it. Amazing. Yeah. And if you bought it in a funky capsule on iHerb, it would probably be 30 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> So Amazing. And one last question I want to ask you for today's chat is around exercise. You mentioned briefly that you were exercising too much. Yeah. Do you think um, in your clinical experience now and with the in-depth research you've done over the years on the skin and various lifestyle uh, effects on the skin, does exercising too much impact us because the stress goes up and then that impacts our skin? Yes. So mm. for women. Um, so for women um, that are, and everybody's different, let's just clarify that, but for women who are already stressed, um, high intensity exercise and working out too much is a bit of a recipe for disaster because it will perpetuate and increase the cortisol um, issue and, and will also increase testosterone. Mm -hmm. And when we're looking at, you know, cortisol and testosterone as two of the major driving factors uh, for acne, 
um, it's not such a great idea. And that's when it comes down to, again, um, intuitive in, intuitive exercise, you know. Mm. Um, sorry, that's my cat in the background. No, that's okay. All good. So, um, uh, you know, if you're tired, maybe you need to rest instead of exercising. You know? mm. um, exercise when you feel that you have the energy to do so. Um, yeah. And um, exercise is um, meant to be enjoyable and fun and not another way to punish ourselves or, you know, and I'm not saying that high intensity exercise is like that at all. And I, uh, I love the idea of everyone being strong and fit and, you know, but in this, let's, let's be realistic that we're not all vital enough to do that kind of exercise. Yeah. Gotcha. And so is that when things like restorative yoga, some gentle Pilates, those sorts of yeah. exercises are going to be better for us if we tend to break out a lot at the moment? Dancing, mm-hmm. um, you know, walking um, and, uh, yeah, those, those things that, that you find enjoyable and as many things outside as possible. Mm. Love because it. It's going to regulate our hormones as well, particularly in the morning. Amazing. Thank you so much for all this wonderful advice, these great insights, very balanced view on things as well. And I think there's plenty in there for people to make a start with if someone out there is listening and thinking, oh my gosh, I've you know been banging my head against a brick wall on this issue for years. So hopefully today's show is a great starting point for a new chapter for, for you guys out there. Thank you once again, Asha. We've got all of your details uh, in the show notes today and everyone can find those at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and then you click on today's show tile. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action Uh, and uh, there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit uh, stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written over the past nine years of writing a blog. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added and I can't wait to see where that community takes us. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus uh, Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week.